Cam Meekins show. It's your boy Cam Meekins. Matty Harris in the building, mixed by Matty. Man of many names, many, many qualities. Thanks for doing this, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, bro. I love it. It's awesome. Uh, before we get into it, I mean, you and I are really close. We've been close for a long time, but I want to introduce the listeners a little bit about who you are, what you do. Uh, how would you describe yourself these days? Uh, these days, mostly all I do is, is mixing and mastering. Um, it's, you know, it's always been my love. I produce too. I don't do that anymore. You know, as you know, I used to make beats. We worked on a lot of songs together over the years. Yep. Um, and you know, I guess it was six years ago now. Uh, I was kind of, I was burnt out of making beats, man. I was doing the songwriting thing in LA and making, you know, records every day. And it just, it wasn't really for me. And I knew I was a good producer, but I didn't know if I was a great producer and if I had the passion to go there, I guess, would be say it was kind of a dark time. Um, what I did know was a lot of the studios were closing and, um, you know, a lot of people were recording at home. And so <clears throat> the problem with that was there wasn't anyone with any sort of experience to mix the songs or master them for people recording at home. So I thought, you know, this might be an idea is to start an online mixing and mastering company uh, where I can help artists who are recording at home get their products to sound good before they they take them out to Spotify and the other streaming services. So on a whim, I you know I, I put this website together and started the company and it, it started taking off. And, and now you know it's it's what I do every day, all day, um, and, and life is good, you know. So you kind of just saw the trend of people recording at home and said somebody needs to figure out how to kind of help people mix their songs and everything like that. How did that yeah. idea come about? Yeah, exactly. Well, it really just came out of, of adjusting to changes, you know, um, in the world we live in and, and any time you live in it, the things change, you know, and if you're not with the change, you'll be left behind. Right. So I saw what was happening was everyone was getting a computer and, a, and an audio interface and starting to record themselves at home, which was going to change and was changing the, the way things had happened since I first started in the music business was people would go to the studio, record their song, get it mixed, all that, all within a studio place, you know, but that was changing. So no longer would the artist have to go to the studio to actually record. They were doing a lot of that at home. So, you know, I, I was like, well, they're not going to have someone to mix it. You know what I mean? So yeah, right. it's all going to sound like trash. So I'm like, well, if they could have it mixed online by a guy in L.A., even if this kid's in Omaha, Nebraska, then how much better will his music be than everyone else in his neighborhood? You know what I mean? So that was my thought was, you know, people will still have to get someone trained to get their song mixed. And, and, and so that's that's where the idea sprung from. Yeah, that's really interesting that you pivoted like that. And I want to tell people a little bit about the history there, too, because obviously you and I have worked together for so long and I think some people know it and some people might not. And the mm -hmm. history of when you were going by Matty Trump and right. producing and you produced Sam Adams' whole first album, Boston's Boy, yep. and you were living in Boston. And then you and I met and I was 16, 17 years old when you and I met. And right. I want to tell that story real quick because that's a great story. So Sammy Adams was like popping off. This is probably what? I guess that would have been 2010. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right, right when boston's boy came out and so you guys were killing it with with that and that was really the the thing that people my age were just listening to i remember going to like i think it was 
junior prom or some shit like that and listening to that song and every like suburb kid in Boston was just going crazy about that that album and that was right at the same time that I was starting to really take music serious too and so I was like just spam emailing Sammy people that worked with Sammy I emailed you and I was like you know I'm doing this music shit I got to find a studio to record and kind of take what I'm doing to the next level can we get together and make some music? And you were like, yeah, sure. Uh, come to the studio, Cybersound Studio in Boston. We'll do a session. I'll, I'll produce a song with you. And, you know, we'll we'll make something happen. And I think you were looking at it just as, like like a lot of things, you know, just a random opportunity to, to charge for a session and make a song. But we ended up striking a friendship and making music. And I'm curious what that was like for you. For me, it was this huge experience because... I'd never been in a recording studio. I'd never worked with anyone professionally. I'm seeing you as this dude who just produced every track on this album that's blowing up. And we made that song just like you the first time we ever got together, yeah. which, you know, the old, old Cam fans know as like this throwback song. And I was just like, this shit is fucking awesome, dude. <laughs> yeah, man, that was a weird time. I mean, that that album really like changed my life in, in a lot of ways it was the first thing to kind of really put me on the map as a producer or mixer or whatever i was everything on that yeah and um you know got me a lot of, of of contacts got me out to la so that album changed my life in a lot of respects um and then i met you and yeah you know you know and i think you can ask this of anyone who's been in the music business a long time um a, a lot of your work is independent work and then and then unless you're like, you know, like a few of the top guys, a lot of the work is independent artists you're working with, hoping that they'll get a record done. You know what I mean? Or, or blow up or something like that. And then you have like, you're saying you know, when you're a producer, when you're an engineer, you're just kind of putting those feelers out and trying to yeah, see. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have yeah. a couple things that hit, you know what I mean? I have three or four records that I can always top off, you know, name off that are things I worked on that hit that have propelled my career the whole time. You know what I mean? So you know, you'll be working on a bunch of stuff and, and one or two things will hit and that will help push you along. You know what I mean? So yeah. when you came in, yeah, one, it was, it was, it's, you know, it's opportunity to make money because I do charge to record and I do charge to produce and all that stuff. And then two, you're actually really talented, which was cool, you know? Oh, thanks buddy. And, and, uh, and I was like, this kid's dope. You know what I mean? And so, you know, I'm always down to build with people that are dope. And so, you know, we started hitting it off and, and at the time you were cool. And, um, and then, you know, we just, we did, we developed a pretty good friendship to a point where we're like brothers now, you know? Yeah. And I mean, it just became, I mean, we could do a whole, a whole yeah, I mean, timeline of the deep. story, but, <laughs> and maybe we should to a certain degree, but yeah, I mean, I, I feel like making that early music, getting that education of what it's like to be in a studio, that was huge for me. And then it started to just progress and, I think there was a moment in the Northeast where because of of the the record that you guys made with with Sammy, I think there was there was really a a moment with that subgenre of of music where the, these blogs were kind of pushing all of these different new artists like myself after Sammy and then mm -hmm. Chris Webby and all these other guys that were yeah. really starting to come up around that time and it became this this real unique era and then I got the record label interest because my name started kind of floating around a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so I remember when I got the email from Atlantic records to that, they wanted to take a meeting with me. The first thing that I did was call you and we, right. we weren't fully like 
working together in a management type of capacity at that point, but we were just doing a lot of songs and I didn't know what I was doing because I was literally still 17 years old at the time. Right. And so I called you and you were moving out to LA for different reasons, mm-hmm. right? At the same time. And so yeah, it's, it's, it's just funny. People. Yeah. It's funny how things kind of just happen like that, you know? Yeah. It was really weird, man. It was, it was a crazy time. And, you know, it was for both of us, really, it was our first introduction to the major label world of the music business. You know what I mean? Right. And it was exciting, dude. I mean, I, I had signed a management deal. I had uh, one of the top lawyers in the music business. I was moving out to L.A. thinking, man, I had made it. I'm here, baby. Like, this is it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Only to find out when you get to L.A., you you just starting. You know what I mean? And 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 and. And it took both of us, you know, a year or so of a lot of like rough days <laughs> for sure. to learn that, you know what I mean? Yeah. That we weren't really shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, you had a record that did pretty well. Who cares? You know what I mean? Like, like, and, and that was a learning experience for both of us of like how the label world works, you know? Totally. And, and things turned out completely differently than I pictured in my head when I got out to LA, you know? Well, and what's interesting, I think, about both of us is is that we both went through that experience. We both, you know, did different different deals with with labels. And then for for my album, you were involved in that in that deal for the Lamp City album too. Right. And now both of us are running our own thing independently away from that whole infrastructure because because I think we both basically. yeah we yeah. I think we both kind of understood that you know there's there's only certain kind of types of artists that benefit from that infrastructure. Yeah, man. And and I think that was part of the reason I started the the Mix and Master My Song site was I was so burnt from trying to play this label game, you know, like uh, it was just it was tiring, dude. And it was it was depressing sometimes, you know, and um, I wanted to get back to working with independent artists like that's for me, working with independent artists is almost like is like what I love. You know, it's like it's just yeah. me and the artist working on a song. There's not like six A&Rs on the email chain, all with an opinion that to me, a lot of times when I work on label stuff, you know, I love working with the labels on a mixing side. I love mixing for the labels now. Producing was always tough, man, because there was always like six guys on the email chain. And by the time like everyone put their two cents in, like I hated the song. You know what I mean? I was just I was tired of the song. The song sucked, you know? Yeah. And so that, that, that the creative juices of being in that system is, is tough, man. I mean, I, I know some people thrive on it and, and, you know, we got boys like Lou and them who are, are fucking crushing, you know, but for me, it was just, it was really tough mentally <laughs> to deal with, you know? Well, anyone that's crushing it though, in that world is still creating their own thing though. They created their own yeah. infrastructure and they still have the relationships from the label standpoint, but they're, they're, they're still pretty in-house. Yeah. You and know, that's the thing. If you, great, go into the labels, if you go into the labels with, you know, already selling out big time shows and stuff like that, then you have all the cards, you know, it's, it's when you're in some sort of development deal that it can right. like, you know, kind of mess everything up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I remember those, those darker times when we were first out here because we hadn't gotten the label deal. What happened was I, was under the impression that I was moving out to LA and was going to sign a deal. And then it was like six additional months of negotiating the whole entire process without signing the deal. Right. And so I went out to LA with not a lot of 
you know, resources or money or anything. And, you know, we, there was a point there where, where you and I were, we, we moved in together into one apartment. You oh know, yeah, dude, your resources just, were better than mine. You know what I mean? Like, and yeah. that's what people don't understand. You know, like I moved out here on a great deal. I had a, like a $50,000 deal just to move out. You know what I mean? And that was from an independent, the independent label from Sammy's independent label uh, first round. And so that first year was dope. They got me a studio. I had money. I was chilling. And then, and then, and then, you know, it worked out that I had enough credits that I was going to be able to sign a publishing deal. And that would take me on after that. And plus we had your deal getting worked on. You know what I mean? So I was like, Oh, we'll be good. But my, my, just like your deal, my publishing deal took a year and I was broke, man. I had to move in with you on your yeah. freaking kitchen floor. All right. So we got like the number one record on Sammy's and Cam's about to sign a record deal with Warner Brothers and I'm sleeping on a floor. And so on an air mattress like, on a floor. In a, yeah, an in air a, mattress on a floor. In a one bedroom like, apartment that someone else was already also living in too. Right, right. So that's the whole thing. It's like you think like it's all there, but like that's where we were. You know what I mean? We yeah. had record deals and that's how we were living. Yeah. So it's like... um it's like that old thing. If you don't really love this music business and if you don't really love making music, man, go find a different job. Because like I was all in no matter what, you know, right. and we we stayed on I stayed on your floor so that I could keep paying the rent at the studio. Like I was yeah, I, I sacrificed that. a room and a bed so I could have a studio. You know what I mean? Right. So it was crazy time. But yeah, dude, that shit was depressing. <laughs> yeah. But made yeah. us better and stronger, you know. And for me too. I mean, I was I was young, so I think I had more of a tolerance to it because I yeah, was yeah. like, whatever, I don't give a fuck. Like I'm 18 years old. I'm just like bumming this shit out. We were eating peanut butter and jellies and you know, splitting subway sandwiches. Yeah, and yeah, just yeah. really just grinding it out. <laughs> but I think that built a lot of character for me at the time. You oh, probably yeah. already built that character. You were like, yeah. fuck. <laughs> you know, I was like, dog, I thought I was done with this Yeah, you, you were like, I think I've had enough of this, but yeah. but yeah. I uh, I look back at those those times now, and I and I'm just like, that's that's really where I got my my education of of the music business and just you know kind of just how how things work in general in life, you know. Mm -hmm. And so those those were as as hard of the times that they were. They were they were good times for me in terms of the learning experience. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's what they always say. You know what I mean? Like, pain is the 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 best way to learn. You know, success. Yeah. Yeah, so. yeah but. You know, I think when you're uh, looking at getting into that that world, and you're thinking that it's all just once you do one thing, you're you're on, and and th that's kind of where my head was at. Once I got interest from a record label, I was like, all right, cool, I'm 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 Drake. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah, like, no, hundred percent. And, and and I was incredibly naive too and young, uh, but that's I think a lot of ways like kind of what they what they want you to think too <laughs> you know what i mean like they kind of gas you up yeah and i and i, no, and I got sure. i got gassed up a lot when i when i first started like negotiating the the label deal and everything and so it, it really gave me a, a clear clear understanding of kind of what a label really is and isn't and mm -hmm. now i think it's 2021 that information is out there a lot more uh you know, it's just a lot more widely available now. And there's guys like Russ and all these independent artists that are like being very transparent about what a label is and what a label isn't and why you might need a label or why you don't need a label. 
But back in 2011, which is when we were doing that, that really wasn't the case. It was still the the idea of signing a record deal was still the number one thing as an artist. And yeah, Sammy the was the only thing to do anything independent, really. Yeah, the independent world was just starting. I, I think you, if you knew someone, you could get your records on Spotify. You know what I mean? Like that whole world was just starting. So it wasn't like you could go to DistroKid and upload your album to every right. streaming service. There were barely any people listening to streaming at the time. Yeah, it wasn't even streaming. It was iTunes Store. Yeah, it was iTunes Store. And and like you had to know somebody to get on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, so, yeah, it was, a, it was a freaking really different world then. Um, so, yeah, I think like the new generation of artists, you know, kids that are just coming up, like dudes are so lucky in one respect that you can make a song and release it that same day to the world. Right. Right. That's really freaking cool. Like if I could have done that as a kid, there would have been a lot of bad songs out there, but, um, but that's also the other hard part about it. Everyone can go do that. You know what I mean? Everyone can go and release a song to the world, which one is powerful because you can do that. But two is a negative because there's so much music and content out there and we're consuming at such a higher rate now that, a lot of stuff can get lost or not even ever heard, you know? Yeah. It's hard for stuff to cut through now unless it really has a clear story behind it. Yeah. You know, like, like I've put out a lot of music in the last year, but when you put out something that has more of a narrative behind it, more of a story, it, it, people are more down to check it out because you're just scrolling, scrolling, scrolling now, and there's just a million different things you can consume, music, videos, whatever. And so to cut through now, it has to be more than just, I put out a new song. It has to be, why am I actually going to take the time to check out what you're doing here as opposed to checking out this thing or just going on TikTok or Instagram and just scrolling endlessly at random stuff that is just like instant gratification. Yeah, man. Definitely changed. It's so hard too. I get like, honestly, I get anxiety when I open up Spotify. Cause I don't know Why? where I'm like, where am I going to start? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, unless I have a song I want to hear a lot of times when I go on, like when I turn on my streaming platform, whatever the one it is, right. like, I'm like, Oh, I'm gonna listen to this record or I'm looking to find what's new. You know what I mean? Like what's, what's yeah. hot. And it's just, it, it can be overwhelming even, you know what I mean? There's so many options now that my brain just goes like scattered. <laughs> yeah. At this point, I, I don't really feel like I'm listening to, to new music. I think I yeah. hear new music through TikTok and Instagram and stuff like that. Yeah. But it's very rare for me that I'm like going and listening to new music. I'm pretty much just listening to what what's already in my repertoire from the last like years because it's it's a little bit overwhelming how yeah. much music there is out yeah. there. Yeah, I try and I think mostly I do this because I am a mixing and mastering guy and I want to be ahead of what's next you know what i mean so like yeah. you know my effects sound fresh they don't sound like the guy you know my effects that sounded five years ago right so i'm always like checking out what's new i, I constantly check like the indie hip-hop stuff and things like that just to hear it just to be like oh this is like this is changing you know what i mean because if i don't if you don't change with it then you'll get left behind so like that's why a lot of times when i do go to spotify it's it's for that reason you know so, so tell me a little bit more about how you made that transition from actually trying to chase the major label producer world of getting placements and working with A&Rs to, to get your beats placed with different artists 
to then seeing that there was this void in the market that you wanted to start your own business. I mean, to go out and and go fully entrepreneurial from when you were on this seemingly pretty good path with relationships in the in the music world, why make that shift and what what inspired you to do it? Yeah, man. I mean, you know, <clears throat> there was a whole bunch of reasons. I mean, I got out here and the Sammy thing which, which should have gone, fell apart. You know what I mean? Things just kind of all went in different places. And, and Sammy went one way. I had, I stayed back in another way. And then, you know, we did your deal and that, and that was a, a weird experience, even though, you know, great music came out of it and, and you continued to be a great artist. Um, and then, you know, I, I did the thing with Kelly Clarkson and then, you know, there was a, there was a bunch of good stuff going on, but then it just kind of was like, damn, man, like every day I sit here and I make a beat and I, they send the writer from Sony over and we write a song together and it's okay, but it's not I think great. you should. I think you should tell the Kelly Clarkson story if you're down to tell it. I mean, if you don't want to tell it, that's fine, but I feel oh, yeah. like, no, no, I I feel like you should tell that good. story because I think it gives people more of an understanding of what the actual uh, songwriting world is because I, I don't think a lot of the general population understands that right. the idea of songwriting and being a producer and all these these things, it's an incredibly egregious world to me. And I have a lot of friends who are some of the most talented artists and songwriters in the world. And, right. and you're one of those talented, creative people too. And the whole entire major label system and publishing system is set up to screw great, talented songwriters over and take that talent and give it to you know, artists that have the whole package, which is great. And I think that that is how things are going to always be. Like if you're going to push an artist as a major label, obviously you want to have the whole, the whole package behind somebody, but there's a lot of, and, and I'm not just saying this just like shit on the major labels or big corporations mm. or whatever. It's just the reality of the situation is that what happens is you get a really talented songwriter or producer. And you, if you're a publishing company or label, you give them a tiny bit of money and they think that it's a big deal, but really that money has to last them years and years before they ever see any other money from what they're doing. And you're telling this person to write all this music and then they have full control to do whatever with that music and give it to different artists and different people. And to me, it's just such an ass backwards system. And I think songwriters get taken advantage of the most in the music industry, you know? Yeah. It's, and, it's, and, and writers and producers. Thing. It's a weird thing. And, and maybe just take a step back, like you said, to tell people how this all works. So most of the top artists you hear on the radio, the pop artists, the Rihanna's and, and Kelly Clarkson's and stuff, don't actually write their own songs unless it's maybe, I think Taylor writes her own stuff, but whatever. Um, and so what they have is songwriters, right? And, you know, there's a bunch of people. There's, there's guys that just make the music. There's guys that just write lyrics. There's guys that do top line, which is singing over the music and, 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 you know, making the melodies. So these people, which I was one for a while, um, just sit in the studio every day and we, and we write songs. You know what I mean? We, we can go, Hey, we're going to write one for this artist or just write a song in general and see who we think it might work for. Right. So that's what I got shipped out here basically to do, right. Was to write songs for other artists and in rappers and make beats and try to get beats placed. You know what I mean? And um, at one point with like the Kelly stuff, like the song was already written, right? There was a song written, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And um, my manager at the time said, Hey, 
this is a great song, but they can't get it placed because the, the production is just not quite there. Will you be willing to reproduce it, you know, with meaning the beats and stuff, and then maybe we can get it placed? I was like, sure, no problem. Like, I was down to do anything. I just moved out and I'm getting an opportunity already. This is sweet. So I reproduced the beat, made it tight, da da da. Sounded really like Lady Gaga ish because that was the sound at the time. And then they sent it and then Sony took it and said, we love this. We're going to use it for Kelly Clarkson. Now, the problem for me on that was the song had been written already. And all the writers said that they would give me some money on the back end, which never actually happened. And that was like, you know, music business lesson one on one. If it's not on paper. Right, but like, let's let's step back. I mean, how does that how does that even happen? Right. You completely redid this song. Some other people wrote the original lyrics and the melodies and everything, but you actually produced the version that ended up coming out. Yet well, slightly. They took credited. the song and kind of reproduced it to be more Kelly-ish, whereas I was like maybe a Lady Gaga record. It was more rocky when it came out. I mean, sure. I heard things that I had done in the actual song right. played differently or with a different instrument, but... Yeah, no, it sucked, man, for sure. And, 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 but that, that is what it is. That's, that's the business. If you aren't on that paperwork that you yeah. were a writer, you're not getting anything. And well, I should have, yeah, that, if I point. had a little more cloud or I'd been around longer, I would have been like, nah, I'm not doing that unless I'm a writer on this song. You know what right, I mean? Right, right. Yeah. But you're, you shouldn't be expected to necessarily know that going into right. it. But right. that's my point is, is that the whole, the whole system is, is really set up economically uh, to take advantage of, of the talent. And, yeah. it's, and it's that's tough. the thing too, man, with these publishing deals, like, like my publishing deal, and I'm still signed, <laughs> is for four songs, right? right? So you hear that and you're like, oh, dude, that's nothing. I can make four songs, get them placed, we're done. But here's where that changes, right? they invite so many people to write hooks and change the beat that if you look at the, the, the writers on a lot of big songs, there's like 10 to 20 people on that list. Right. So what that turns out to be is one tenth of a song. So if I, you know, worked on it, but you know, they'd label the CEO head of the label decided to bring 10 other guys to try different hooks. And they used a couple lines for each one of those guys. Well, then I got one tenth of a song. So really what that four song publishing deal could mean is 20, 30 songs that you have to be for 100% credits before it's a hundred percent of a song. Right. Right. So like, that's that's crazy. Right. You know what I mean? And, and, And that's the other thing that I was like, dude, there's just so many people writing. There's so many people getting out one song. It's like, I, like I had a kid, I had another one on the way. And that was one of the determining facts was like, I, I don't want to do this anymore. It's killing my soul sitting here writing a song every day that I'm not really that passionate about. And um, yeah, I I liked, I always loved mixing, which was just, I get a song that day I work on it. I make it sound dope and I send it out and it's pretty much done. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I liked completing things and, and, and just mixing to me is more fun than sitting there and making beats. I, I think I, maybe I just, made way too many beats in my life that I kind of got tired of doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I want to be clear. I love uh, free markets. I'm a capitalist. I think that businesses should be able to compete and do what they need to do to kind of, you know, make as much money as they can. I think that, you know, up to an extent, that's really important for all of us to kind of exist and, and, you know, work uh, together. And so I'm not just saying like, oh, like, 
poor songwriters. This shit is like so fucked up. Like they're getting taken advantage of. But the point is, is that it's just really fascinating when you peel back the layers and you see that some of these incredibly talented, creative people are getting taken advantage of. And if they took those efforts and made their own music or made a YouTube channel or, you know, did something like you ended up doing, creating your own business off of it, economically, you're just so much better off nine times out of 10, unless yeah. you happen to become one of those 0.1% songwriters that gets the placements on the biggest records that ends up making money out of it. But even in that sense, I know guys who have Grammys who are not doing that well financially. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you do too. And so, you know, that's, that's what I think is so funny is, is that these are guys who are a hundred times more talented than me or any other artist that I know or whatever. And it's just a shame to me to see their talent being taken advantage of by, uh, you know, some random A&R publishing company when I really personally believe that, you know, if they kind of pivoted and thought, you know, let me put this on YouTube or let me, you know, make Instagram videos doing piano or whatever it might be, the sky's the limit there. And the, the upward potential there is, is, is endless. You can only make so much in the songwriter publishing world. And I think the old... Uh, allure of being with a record label and you know the the name of these labels kind of brings people in brings these songwriters in if you go to some music school and then you get approached by a label and become a songwriter you think like this is really cool and I can work with some of the biggest artists but you know I, I just I just hate to see it because I think these people are so talented and could be yeah. doing so much more on their own in a lot of, in a lot of instances yeah. No, I mean, you know, but there's the draw. It's kind of like winning the lottery ticket. You know what I mean? Like you want to be one of those guys. Like I, I want to mix the next Drake album. You know what I mean? Like, but the reality is, is like, you know, 1% of the guys do do 90% of the songs and that's mixing, that's mastering, that's producing, you know, and even songwriting to most extent. Um, and so that's just the reality. And I think, you know, if, I think if you really love writing songs, then 100% you should come out here and starve and try to make it. You know what I mean? But I think everyone always just has to really do a gut check. Is like, do you really want to be an artist? Do you really want to be a songwriter? Or does it just look cool? You know what I mean? Like, because you know, and I know, because we lived through it and we, we, we went through the other side of it, that we love doing what we do. Yeah, but the problem is these guys sign contracts before they're able to do that due diligence. Right, because yeah. it's, it's, it's represented you to them. That one hit and you sign the deal and you're a rack. You know what I mean? I get that. Yeah, yeah. It's it, that's that's what what I'm identifying as the problem is is misrepresented yeah. by these companies and then yeah. they sign their rights away for anything they would ever write ever. Right. And then by the time they understand how the how the business works, they've already signed that contract. Yeah. And so no, I think it's, it's important it's for, for us to have these the conversations. Yeah. yeah, it's important for us to have these conversations. It's important for people you know, like Russ and all these other guys that speak out about this type of stuff to just be transparent about it. Because I think a lot of songwriters, a lot of artists wouldn't necessarily sign the deal if they could think a couple years ahead and think about, well, what if I just leveraged my own social media? Or what if, if I was a songwriter and I didn't sign a publishing deal, but I just tried to find the best up and coming talent and did it that way and tried to be a writer in, in that way, being a part of something that's growing, which is how most of these guys who you're saying are the top people who, who do everything. That's how most of them made it anyways, too. You know, I mean, yeah. Drake uses all his, his in-house guys, like, you know, any, any huge artist for the most part typically has their own in-house 
people. Yeah. Right. It's tough, man. I mean, you know, we both, we both ran through it. It's like when you are a young guy and you don't have any money and you're like, you know what I mean? Like someone throws you like, Hey, I'll throw you a hundred thousand dollars. Come sign this deal. Right. Yeah. Okay. No problem. Whatever. Like I'll figure all that other stuff out later on. You know what I mean? A hundred thousand dollars sounds like a lot of money. Right. When it's one check, you know? Yeah. And, and that's the but, classic but problem. You, the other part you don't realize work. too is you're only getting 20 and the rest is going to your album. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, there's a lot of problems there, but you know, anytime you're doing anything, and it's not just music, I think this applies to anyone who's doing contract work, right? Yeah. You get that big check, but you don't know when that next check is coming. Right. You know, sometimes it's years, you know, and then all of a sudden, if it's three years, $100,000 isn't as big of a check anymore. Not at all. You know, it's like working at McDonald's. $33,000 a year. That's below minimum wage. Right. Right. Yeah, man, there are a lot of flaws in the system, but I think it's cool now nowadays. Like, you know, I started my business and 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 I'm doing really, really well. Like, I'm gonna be honest, I'm doing really well. And um, you know, I support my family and all that just mixing music now. And it's it's an amazing. And then you take a look at yourself where you're doing really well and you're an independent artist on your own. Like I use you as an example all the time. When younger guys ask me about, you know, getting a deal and doing all this stuff, I go, you got to understand, like, the world's changed now. Like, you can honestly be what I like to call, like, a blue-collar musician, right? Um, you could be, you know, an artist that does well, but you're not driving Bentleys and shit, you know what I mean? Like, but you're, you're surviving, you're making a good living, you're doing your music, and, and you're living your life. Like, that's a viable option nowadays. Like, honestly, I always say, think it's like, you only need like 10,000 fans or maybe a little more to, to like stream your music and, you know, go to your shows if you do a little bit of a tour and you can make a living, you know what I mean? And, and I think that's, what's really cool now. Like you don't need the label. You don't need a label at all. And, um, and you don't even have to be well known, but you could still make a good living. You know what I mean? And so that's, what's so cool about the way things are now. You can release your own music. You can go, do your own social stuff. You can get your boys to shoot your videos. Like you can do it all on your own now and, and make a living, you know? And so that's, that's what I love about the way the business is now. Yeah, you know? me too. I mean, that's, that's awesome to hear that y you talk about what you and I went through as an example. I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm humbled about that. I, I think that, um, now more than ever, it's possible to make a good living figuring out whatever creative thing you want to do and not just music, anything, you know? And mm -hmm. I, I think that's so inspiring. And I think that has so many ripple implications for just the future of our life. Yeah. You know, as humans, how do we interact with each other? You know, we're, we don't need to make physical things as much as we need to just like, provide services and art and you know our own ideas to the world and and we're all consuming things all the time and this is like this consumption economy now and there's so much opportunity there there's limitless opportunity and you don't need a lot of people consuming your content to to monetize it to a a legitimate level where you can live off of it and yeah it it's, it's cool too, man. Cause you like, I think about it like this sometimes, like you drive down the street, right. And maybe if you're 15 and listening to this, you might not get this, but 
when I was a kid and I drove down the street, it was all like mom and pop stores. You know what I mean? Like yeah, burgers and like, you know, the local hardware store. Now you drive down the street and it's like Olive Garden, Chick-fil-A, you know, like all everything's corporate. Right. And you're like, right. damn, it sucks, man. Like all that kind of like mom and pop stuff's gone. And that does suck. But what's happening and what you were just talking about is it's all moved online. You know what I mean? Like there's exactly. so many mom and pop shops, but it's all online now. Like I'm a mom and pop kind of mixing spot. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like totally. there's, there's other companies like mine. There's other companies that do all kinds of things now. And it's cool, man. Like, like the, the content or like creating content has become such a big industry that a lot of people can do it. You know what I mean? And, and that's, what's really cool. Yeah. It's, it's transitioned all of that, that old, mom and pop stuff into this this new world and i think probably even more so there's there's opportunities to kind of start something from nothing because the barrier to entry is even lower way lower than starting your own hardware store 50 years ago you know and 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 of course i mean back then too there was a lot of other barriers to entry you know from from the, in the form of kind of just like the systemic you know racism and sexism of of right. being able to get a bank loan to start a shop or anything like that and so it is certainly uh, a silver lining, at least right now, that the barrier to entry to any of that stuff is is really not there. As long as you have a phone and access to the internet, which almost all of us do, yeah, you can you can figure out how to connect and turn that into something. And then as you as the money starts coming in, you can reinvest that and grow and get get bigger and and yeah it's 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 weird how it's how it's played out in this way and i do think that when you and i were starting to do the independent music thing as we transitioned out of the major label thing and you started your own your own business and i started doing everything independently i think that that was in a lot of ways the proof of concept i've talked about this before on the podcast musicians moving over to independently releasing stuff and going through spotify and doing all that stuff really was the first iteration of this thing that we're talking about that's very commonplace now. Because mm -hmm. music as a product is extremely shareable. It's just an MP3 file. And mm -hmm. you know better than anybody you know, how, how nothing that is, right? It's just incredibly easy to share. That's why it was you know, easy to create LimeWire in the 90s and do all of that shit. Yeah. And so the first instance of people kind of going against the old guard of distribution, uh, production, manufacturing, all of those big tiers that, that hold back an industry, it was music because all of a sudden you didn't need a studio, you could record at home, you didn't need a label to distribute, and you didn't even need a, a storefront to buy the music anymore. It was all moved to digital. digital. And so it's, it's cool that you and I, in the 2010 era you know we're a part of that that transition to this this digital economy and i and i do think that music was one of the first proof of concepts of of that whole uh thing that we see now in our in our world where everything's online you know yeah i mean i think music had to do that just to survive you know music for sure the only thing it was free for for years music was a free thing like the labels all got crushed and like became free and it became uh, no value, you know? So I think music had to adapt to become the streaming platform and what it is now where actually the labels are making a ton of money again. Um, 
and yeah, I think it it became the first thing out of necessity and survival, you know. Well, and I think it also became the first thing because of because of the fundamentals of what the business is too. Yeah. Right. You know, producing um, producing movies is a much bigger operation than producing music. There's Mm -hmm. more people. There's more physical space. There's more logistics. There's more money. You know, music as a as a as a creative art is is kind of the the cheapest creative art that's that's really relevant you know and everything is, has gone that direction now but music really what was the first iteration of that and now you know radio has gone in that dire- direction broadcasting podcasts you know yep. m- movies obviously with with Netflix and Hulu and all that stuff have gone in that direction and i think we're going to see even more of a shift there i think that more and more people are going to independently produce really high quality content, you know, movie content without a major company, without major financial backing, fully independent and put it on YouTube or even get deals with Netflix completely independently. I have no oh, yeah. doubt in my mind that that'll, that'll happen more and more. I mean, I think it already is with a lot of reality TV shows and stuff like that. Um, right. It's already getting picked up like that for right. sure. But yeah, yeah, to, to finish the point on the, on the, the kind of changing of the guard, it's just, it's really, it's really about the the big pillars that that stop progress, you know. And yeah. I think that music just it was easier to knock down those pillars in music. And as technology got more and more advanced and and more and more affordable, the other big creative industries like movies and and podcasting or you know radio that now has turned into podcasting and uh, any, anything else are just slowly but surely getting knocked down. You know, all the pillars, the the distribution pillars the production pillars the manufacturing all that all that type of stuff is just getting uh completely changed and it's not just in the creative arts it's in business it's in everything i mean you know i'm invested in that english muffin company and you know selling english muffins is becoming more and more of an online business every single day i mean we grew our online sales by 400 percent last year yeah yeah in the pandemic I mean, everything's online now right yeah especially with the pandemic it's like I mean, you order everything online. Right. You don't go to stores anymore. And that's going to, I think, change the world forever, you know? Right. And actually, another another good example of that, which I want to talk to you about, because I know that uh, you're pretty active as an investor, too, um, which I really admire, is everything that's happening with the whole Wall Street bets situation is another example of pillars of the old guard getting knocked down by innovation and access to information and technology improving. Because it used to cost millions of dollars for in, you know uh, institutional firms to do research to then make you know these type of bets in the market, but now it takes six million people on a Reddit forum to crowdsource that research, and it doesn't cost any money anymore, you know. And that's yeah, another example no. of that, which is yeah, I, man, I, I was, love that shit. That was- huge and awesome i was so cool to see how that all went even though i lost some money in the in the scheme of things but it was it was cool man and it's, it's like i love seeing all this stuff happen like the wall street bets thing changed the market we squeezed the big guy you know what i mean like yeah. you had in the middle of a pandemic you have mad people marching for like you know equal rights and stuff like through online stuff we can all get together so much easier and make a difference. Now you have the negative side of that with like what happened at the Capitol building. You know what I mean? Like a bunch yep. of people got online 
and decided to do that. You know what I mean? Right. But like, you know, you take that and you're like, oh, we got to relate. Well, you know, a lot of really good stuff happens when a bunch of people get online and make a difference in some sort of part of the world, whether it's the Wall Street bets thing, equal justice, marches, you know what I mean? Whatever it may be. Um, it's really cool how everything's changed in that respect too. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I mean, as far as the wall street bets thing, that, that was, that was crazy. Like I couldn't believe it. I wish I learned about it about a week earlier and actually paid it some mind. But, um, I learned a really good lesson with that whole thing is to really pay attention to things that are bubbling up on the internet nowadays. Cause like, mm that can change a lot of things in your life. You know what I mean? And if you actually pay attention to what's going on, because I heard this whole GameStop thing, I'm like, ah, like whatever, sounds like some, you know, whatever, you Me know what too, I mean? Yeah. Which I do a lot with stuff that's bubbling. You know what I mean? You just never know what's going to go, you know? And um, I think the internet is, is now uh, becoming some sort of weird resource of like, where things are going to go a week ahead. Like it's almost like people try to predict the stock market. Now it's like you're starting to like find ways to predict the internet and what's going to go and what's not, which is what's trending. Just yeah. crazy like thoughts. You right. Know what I mean? Right. That's a really good point. I, I did the same thing. You would see, you know, I don't know how much YouTube you watch, but I watch a lot of this, you know, all of these random YouTube things. And like, you'd see these little jokes about like, Oh, invest in GameStop or like these people are investing in GameStop or whatever. YOLO like YOLO it up in GameStop and I was like what the fuck is that and I didn't check in on it at all until after all this stuff came out about what actually ended up happening and right. then I did the research and found out you know that you know a couple people were six months ago putting in some pretty serious due diligence on GameStop and it was in this like real funny way but the work was very real the research that they were doing was very real. And then, you know, I, I think I saw an article like months ago that said like Michael Burry had like 30% of his portfolio. The guy who did the big short in the 2008 financial crisis, he had like 30% of his portfolio in GameStop. And like, what the fuck? This dude hit two home runs now. Yeah, that's crazy. Like, that's crazy to me. But yeah, yeah. yeah it's like, I mean, it's like an age old, age old saying, you got to keep your ear to the street. <laughs> yeah, right. And the internet's the new street, you know? Yeah, that's true. And I'm sure there's there's algorithmic ways to kind of figure out what's what's bubbling up and trending and stuff too. And I'm sure there are people out there that are doing that. But even just Yeah, I mean I just use Twitter. Instinctually. I mean, Twitter's like one of my things I first check in the morning, I go to trending. Yeah. And I see what's popping off. I mean, I'm not the only obviously only person that does it. But that's always a good way just to kind of see what's popping off that day. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I do think that this is probably just the first shoot a drop in terms of how this actually changes the stock market. hundred percent. Because there's going to be pushes to regulate that type of crowdsourcing of information, which is fucking ridiculous because there's, there's nothing wrong with people conversating as long as they're not, you know, doing anything illegal. I'm not sure, man. I, I kind of see it different. I see like it might be a push to regulate the, the, the uh, the trust, the mutual funds, or whatever it is, you know what I mean. I would love that, but I think history you saw tells Elizabeth us that Warren coming out and and, yeah. and stuff yeah. like that. I mean, who knows? But but yeah, I mean, I, I think it could be you know maybe used for good. We'll see. But I agree a hundred percent that this ain't over. Like this yeah. is the beginning of another revolution that we're going to be able to witness in our life. Which right. Is pretty cool. But even if you just let this play out, like with with or without regulation, right? The hedge funds that 
uh, try and manipulate the market in this type of way where they put a short on a company. I mean, to be a short selling fund, I think you have to be like the slimiest of the slimy <laughs> because you're literally betting massive amounts of money that this company is going to just fail and people are going to lose their jobs and just, you know, their, their lives are going to be kind of torn apart. Right. Yeah. And you know, if you're Joe Schmo retail investor playing around with like options and, you know, shorten a company on a day trading perspective or, you know, long company here, like that's one thing, but to be a huge multi-billion dollar fund and all you do is short companies and then try and go on CNBC or go on the internet and talk about how you are short this company because you think X, Y, and Z, you know, th there's just something so slimy about that to me. You know, if there's something fraud or whatever that people are identifying, like, okay, fine. But I think a lot of times the strategy is to just short a company and then talk negatively about it in the press and then watch the rest of the people follow that move and sell the stock. And then they just, you know, take their money and, and, and walk away. Yeah. And I so get that. that needs to be, I think, you know, talked about a little bit. But yeah, I mean, there's some talks about that, you know, maybe shorts shouldn't be a thing. I, I don't know. I mean, you know, it, it works in the negative way that like, you talk about it, but also like, you remember Herbalife, which pretty like turned out it's really like a Ponzi scheme type company. Yeah. Right. Um, that was heavily shorted. You know what I mean? And, and yeah, maybe Bill Ackman right lost reason. like $4 billion on that. Cause he, he had to cover eventually because it just yeah. kept going up. Yeah. But, yeah. No, I, I, actually, I, mean, I don't think the shorts shouldn't exist because I think you're right. It creates a, a, a balance in the market where there's repercussions for like negative actions like fraud and things like right. that. But I don't think that a company should be able to be overshorted 130% like GameStop. Yeah, yeah and, no. I mean, there's definitely got to be regulations, but I mean, who knows right. that that stuff what will happen with the, yeah. with the uh, hedge funds. They seem to have their hands pretty heavy with their lobbies. I mean, that's, that's, that's why I, I don't really think that anything will happen from a regulatory standpoint, anything significant. Right. And if there is, there's always just a way to kind of do it again in a, in a new way. You know, I mean, mortgage-backed securities still exist, like all the same things that were happening in the financial crisis still happen. Yeah. Um, but the point about kind of the, the, just the market aspect of it in general is, is that if the fear of a bunch of people on Reddit getting together to go against your short is there, then I think different hedge funds will be a little bit less likely to go as strong on their short positions than they maybe were before all this stuff happened. So that at least is a good positive. It's it's balanced things out a little bit in that sense where now there's there's another thing you need to consider when you try and take some position like that if you're the, one of these big funds where you know you 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 may deal with the wrath of these online traders who get together and, and go against that because they see the flaw in your position that you didn't think about. And that just shows how intelligent the group is versus the individual couple people who think that they're, you know, smarter than the rest of us. And they're really not. And that's, that's my favorite thing about the wall street bets thing. And I, and I tweeted about that. It's like, it's a great reminder that the brightest minds are everywhere around us. If they're not just at the biggest companies or the biggest financial banks or whatever, you know, there's great talent everywhere. Kind of like the songwriter thing too. There's great mm -hmm. songwriters that are better than any of the best, biggest artists that are just, you know, doing their thing, living in a studio apartment somewhere. And so, you know, everyone yeah, should take everyone's, you know, kind of words seriously because you don't know 
how smart they are. Yeah. I mean, I think what's cool about it is, is, is it shows that the hedge funds can, can get touched. You know what I mean? Like, right. And I think that's the way a lot of things are going. You've seen it happen in the political world where, you know, you, you speak something wrong, we're going to let you know. Right. And I think the people are slowly realizing that we have more power than we thought with the internet, between the head fund, between all of us telling Ted Cruz he's a scumbag, um, between all of us telling Trump that he was a scumbag, if that's the way you feel, you know what I mean? Or telling me that I'm a scumbag because I actually don't believe that Trump's a good guy. Whatever it is, we can all like express in pretty heavy ways um, how we feel now, and, and it actually moves the marker, whereas before the internet and stuff like that, we could all talk our political talk, but no one was like, it wasn't that big a deal because it was just wherever you were in your country, part of your country. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, I think, you know, we now have such a way, and this is like in this kind of cool way, like to put all of this together we've been talking about, is we have such a way to move all kinds of industries now as the people um, that it feels like the country, and, and, and I know it's a weird at the time that we're at now, feels more free than it ever has because we can change so much just from our couch, you know, which is kind of cool. 100%. I have to ask you before we wrap it up, why were you named Maddie Trump and when did you decide to change it? <laughs> oh, man. So when I was producing this RB group back in Boston, this is 15 years ago probably, there's like three, like three girls. They're all mixed races and all this stuff. And they're like, you're like the white guy. So at the time, Trump was actually cool in the hip hop industry. No, of course. Rapped I mean, about him. Yeah, he everybody was a big man that. who yeah. made money. Everyone loved Donald Trump, right? Right, right. So they were like, oh, you're like the, the white guy who does all the cool stuff. Like, you, we're going to call you Maddie Trump. And it was a cool name, right? It had a nice ring to it. I'm like, that's dope. And so it's stuck as like my producer names because before that it was Billy Beats, which was terrible. <laughs> so <laughs> Maddie Trump was way better, right? So I ran with it and I got all my credits on it and everything. And then the clown show arrived and I was like, man, like, like this guy's just saying some terrible stuff. And I don't know if I want to be associated with that. I'm like, do I need to go? My real last name's Harris. Do I need to go? back to my real last name and i think what it was the icing on the cake was i got an email from a prospective client asking hey i really want to work with you but i just wanted to make sure you're not related to donald i was wow. like you know what man i'm like this is just i like i don't want to be a part of this guy's name or life or anything i don't want it so i, I went and just, just said hey change my name back to my real name and and it's kind of weird because it's not quite, but almost lines up with the time I started the mixing company. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of a transition of my life that way too. So it is what it is, man. I mean, you know, sometimes you're going to pick a terrible stage name and, yeah, no. and that's what happened to me, you know? And, uh, and so it's cool, man. I'm back to Matt, Maddie Harris, my, my birth name or Matthew Harris is my birth name, but we keep the Y when you're from the new England area. Um, and that's that, man. That's the story. Yeah, I was just busting your balls on that a little bit, but oh, no, I did. I mean, it's, I think it's, it's a, a good story, story though. It's a know? story. <laughs> so, tell people a little bit about where they can where they can find your stuff. I know you're active on YouTube, doing a lot of mixing videos. Obviously, you got the Mix and Master My Song website where artists can get their songs mixed and mastered. Uh, what else? What else you want to plug? Yeah, well, no, I mean the website. Um, 
YouTube's the same, youtube.com forward slash mix and master my song. Um, and, you know, I do a lot of uh, videos. So if, if maybe you're a young guy who can't afford to have me mix your song or, you know, don't want to pay someone to mix their song, I'm doing a bunch of videos. When I came up in the business, I started out in the recording studios, we're actually working in the studios. And guys like Pete Pelquin and Tom Waltz and, and um, Miguel, uh, taught me how to engineer, right? And now that I have my own studio where it's just me every day, I have no one to teach. So the YouTube channel is kind of my way of giving back and being connected to the audio industry, even though I'm in my room alone every day. Um, so that's a good place if you want to learn how to mix. And, um, and then I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Mixed by Maddie if you want to check me out there too. My man, Maddie Harris. Thanks for my coming brother. on the show, dude. Of course, buddy. Hi, brother. Talk to you soon. Peace.